We desire, we desperately need the presence of Almighty God in our service today. We need to hear your voice. We need to feel your touch. This doesn't work without you, Lord Jesus. Our lives don't work without you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We do laud and magnify your name today. We do exalt, worship, and praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in this place this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. And today, Lord, we will wait upon you to hear your voice, to feel your touch. We will entertain the presence of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the Lord and there is none else. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, which was and which is and which is to come, the Almighty. We do worship you, the Lord our God. You are our Savior, our Redeemer, the lover of our soul. You are our provider, our healer, our joy, our strength, our hope. You are our portion and our exceeding great reward. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are all things unto us. We worship you today. We worship you today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your manifest presence here already. I pray, God, that your presence would continue to go forth from this place, that you would minister to each and every need, that you would minister to the needs that are tuning in online today. Be present with them as well, I pray, as you are present here with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your great faithfulness to your people. When we are not faithful, Lord, you are altogether faithful to us and to the promises you've given us in your word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. What an awesome God we serve this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome God we serve. He is so good to us. He is altogether good to us. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, church, for responding to the presence of God. Amen. You could be seated for just a moment. Thank you so much. Amen. A couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, I got the JPEG titles wrong. Sister Demuth, you've probably already realized that. <laughs> Real announcements. Uh, ladies retreat once again, Wisconsin Dells, April 22nd to the 24th. Please let Sister Demuth know if you're attending. Also, you'll need to have your room, room payments into Sister Becker if you're going to, uh, by today. It's actually supposed to be tomorrow, but we won't be here tomorrow. I don't know if you guys will either. So <laughs> uh, if you could have that in today, if you haven't already, that'd be awesome. Uh, men's camp, 19th through the 21st of August. Uh, registration is now open. Register before August 14th to avoid paying a late fee of $20. Campsites and dorm rooms are on a first-come, first-served basis. Register early to get the best spot. Save Our Children 
is going to be, our offering will be on March 14th. So uh, again, uh, we'll be, we'll be talking a little bit more about that in upcoming services, but uh, for now, just be praying about that. Uh, ask the Lord what he would have us to give. Amen. Uh, I do want to announce also, uh, as kind of a, maybe a pre-announcement, um, I have been praying about this. Uh, I know I've been, I've been kind of reading through the, the minute notes of, uh, oh, welcome to our visitors. <laughs> God bless you guys. <laughs> My parents. <laughs> uh, as I was saying, I, I, I've been praying about this, looking through the, the meeting minutes of past years, and uh, I know this has been brought up uh, a few times, actually, but uh, I want us to be thinking about and I want us to be praying about uh, getting a new church building. And... I am well aware that uh, when someone stands up and says that, I know for a fact that there has to be, I, I don't know for a fact, but I, I know there has to be some in our congregation that have very strong feelings toward this building. And I get that. I totally understand that. Uh, yeah, Brother Richard, you do like 43,000 things around here every week. Um, so... <laughs> So I know you love this building. Your actions show it. Uh, Brother Terry, uh, you, I mean, you guys have spent hours, nights, weekends doing work around this place. And it shows we have a beautiful building. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it, it's, I don't, I don't see how it can serve our needs moving forward. And so, um, you know, there are, there are some limitations with this building, the, the parking, the, the lack of handicap access, um, so, uh, just kind of a, a pre-announcement. Start thinking about that. Pray about that. Uh, see what the Lord would have us to do. Uh, you know, he, I don't necessarily want to say we'll sell this and get a new building. I mean, God can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, but, you know, we need more size. We need more room. We need handicap access. We need some parking. Uh, these kinds of things as, as we grow as a church. They're going to become necessary. And so uh, just start thinking about that. Pray about that. See what the Lord would have us to do. Amen. Uh, let's see if excellent. So far, my tablet is silky smooth. All right. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, probably for the next few Sunday uh, discipleship classes, We'll be talking about salvation in the Bible. And when we talk about salvation, typically, we're thinking of Acts 2.38, which is, for today, for this dispensation, that is the plan of salvation. But that hasn't always been the plan of salvation, has it? We've actually had a few in the Bible, a few different kinds, a few different plans of salvation. And it's really interesting to me that although we've had these different plans of salvation, these different ways that the Lord has has drawn us close to him, has made a way where we can communicate with him, they are very similar in context. And 
to the point where they're actually what they call types and shadows or forerunners of salvation, full salvation that we experience today. Of course, before the blood of Jesus was shed, we couldn't have full remission of sin. But the Lord has always made a way where we can come into the presence of the Lord and uh, we can communicate with Him. Now, it hasn't been in days past, i.e., before the blood of Jesus was shed, His Spirit could not dwell in us. But His Spirit could dwell on someone. And he could speak through people, and he could he could speak to them in dreams and visions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it was only by shedding the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, that we could have full remission, and whereby God's Spirit could come actually inside and dwell in us. And we now are the tabernacle of God that was typified in the Old Testament under the law of Moses. Now, uh, starting in, well, let's, let's read the scripture text first. Romans chapter 16, 25 and 26. The apostle is telling us this. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Now, he talks about uh, this, this revelation of the mystery that was kept secret since the world began. That, of course, is the revelation of, of God coming as a man in Jesus Christ for the salvation of all people. All the way back in Genesis. Now, originally, of course, salvation was not necessary, was it? God's original plan was that that would never be necessary. That we would live in obedience to God. That one commandment that we had, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only commandment they had. They had no flesh to worry about. They had no world system to worry about. They had one commandment to worry about. I tell people I'd have probably chopped it down and burnt it. <clears throat> and that I, I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I don't have to think about it anymore. <clears throat> that probably wasn't an option. But in any case, they failed. And if it probably, if it wouldn't have been then, it, it would have been someone else. It probably would have been me if we made it that far. However, they did. They failed. They disobeyed God's commandment. And so uh, sin separated them from a holy and a righteous God, just like it separated us from a holy and a righteous God. And so now we have need of a Savior. We have, We are entirely, utterly, hilariously incapable of saving ourselves. There is no possible way that we can. One guy likened it to uh, a piece of burning wood trying to put itself out. It can't put itself out until it's all gone. <laughs> so I have as much of a chance as, as saving myself. 
cleansing myself of my sin. I can't do it. I have need of a Savior. Adam and Eve had, had need of a Savior. And so God came to them, and he covered them. He covered their nakedness, not with fig leaves, but with the skin of animals. And this, this is important because he didn't just do this arbitrarily. He didn't do it willy-nilly. He did it for a reason. At this point, God is demonstrating to us the horror of sin, that it would take the shedding of blood to cover it. Fig leaves weren't going to suffice. Their nakedness, their sin would only be covered by the shed blood of a substitutionary sacrifice. That's whose blood was spilt. It wasn't Adam and Eve's blood that was spilt. It was the blood of these animals in this particular case. Obviously, that points forward to our substitutionary sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for us for the remission of our sins. Every creature sacrificed on an altar between Adam and Jesus Christ points the way forward to our perfect sacrifice. Now, this blood was not able to atone for sin. They weren't truly forgiven of their sin because an animal's blood was shed. As we read in in the book of the law, under the book of Moses, the Old Testament law, it rolled forward from year to year. It had to be done every year. The same sacrifice, the same process, the same ceremony had to be reaccomplished every year. <clears throat> until Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ's blood was shed, all of those sins that had been rolling forward from year to year were also taken care of. And every sin that would happen since was taken care of. My sins, your sins, were covered with that blood. Sin is an awful thing. It's nothing that we should play around with. God takes it very seriously. We've talked about this before. Not because he's an ogre, not because he's a self-righteous jerk, but because he loves us and he knows what sin does to us. Sin destroys. Sin kills. It separates us from a holy and a righteous God. It separates us from a God that loves us and desires to commune and to have fellowship with us. The altar sacrifice is a type of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. His blood was spilt in our place. He was innocent. He didn't need to die for any sin. He had no sin. That's why he was the only one that could. His death was brutal, bloody, and demonstrated God's holy wrath against sin. That's what all of these sacrifices typify. They weren't beautiful. They weren't romantic in any type, manner, or form. They were ugly. They were brutal. They stunk. When they were burnt on the altar, you ever smell burning hair? That's a hideous smell. That's a gross smell. Those priests got to smell it a lot. 
Altar sacrifice is also a type of repentance. In repentance, we die to our old nature. We place ourselves on the altar. And on the altar, our substitution dies for our sins in our place. Now, during this time, uh, this, this time after the fall, conscience was king. Conscience was awoken in Adam and Eve after they'd sinned. They had realized, the Bible says, that they had done wrong. In fact, they hid from the presence of God, didn't they? Because they knew they were guilty. And it's interesting that their reaction, when God confronted them, they made excuses. That's been human nature from then until now. We can't seem to own up to our failures. We've got to find a reason for it. But not here. Someone else. Somewhere else. It's not until we can come to the Lord and say, I'm guilty. It's my fault. I sinned. That God can do something with us. At this point, there was no human government. Everyone was expected to govern their own behavior. They did it through conscience. Now, the problem with conscience, of course, the good thing about conscience is it convicts us of sin. That's the good thing. But the bad thing is it only talks to us after the fact. After we've done something, we feel pricked in our conscience. The other problem with conscience is that if we keep doing it enough, we can sear it. And it will stop talking to us. And now we can do whatever we want. And there's no guilt. There's no feelings anymore. So those are the problems with conscience. And yet, in this time period, that's what was expected, that they would be governed by their conscience. Now we see uh, by the time of Noah where that ends up with. The thoughts and intents of their heart were only evil continually. They had learned to very effectively squash that voice. So governing ourselves didn't seem to work. It's interesting that in the United States, our form of government, we call it self-government, right? That was supposed to be we govern ourselves. Not we elect representatives, although we did do that. But we were supposed to govern ourselves as individuals. We weren't supposed to need a police force to, to maintain an external order. That was supposed to be inside of each citizen. I don't do it because it's wrong. Not because it's against the law. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 7, we read a discourse between God and, and Cain. Cain was very angry, probably more than a little jealous of his brother Abel, because Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. And God tells Cain this in verse 7 of chapter 4, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now the first part of this verse God is telling him, if you just do what you're supposed to do, everything's good. 
Just do it the right way, the way I told you to do it. And it will be well. I'll accept it. If you don't do it my way, sin's, going, sin's ready to pounce. Sin is going to get you. And I promise you, I mean, the Bible, the, the Bible does say that there is pleasure in sin for a season. And there is. But that season is so very short. And the price is way too high. It's way too high. Second part of this verse is talking about his relationship with uh, Abel. <clears throat> Cain being the firstborn. Uh, in any case. So God warns him. This is what's waiting. These are your choices. You have two choices. You do it my way, or you can do it some other way. If you do it my way, everything's going to be good. If you do it any other way, it's not going to be well for you. Well, he chose to reject that advice, and he did it his way. And that ended in failure and in judgment. In fact, this whole plan of salvation ends in failure and in judgment. Interestingly, we find every dispensation in the Bible ending the exact same way. I think the Lord is trying to demonstrate to us that there is no situation, there is no circumstance we can put ourselves in that, that we're going to be good. Every situation, we need a Savior. Now, at the time of Noah, God's going to judge this dispensation, and he's going to wipe everybody out to a man. He's going to start fresh. But he finds in Noah righteousness. And so God begins to speak with Noah. He gives him a revelation. Noah, it's going to rain. Now, it hadn't rained before. Nobody had a clue what rain was. Up until now, the, the earth was watered from a mist that came up from the ground. There had been no rain, no water falling from the sky. That's weird. That's crazy. It hasn't happened before. And Noah got to preach that for 120 years. Crazy old coot. He keeps, he keeps talking about that. Poor guy. I don't know what happened to him. He used to be a good guy. Now he's crazy. <clears throat> Anyone ever tell you that when you came to God? <clears throat> well, no, I got to hear that for 120 years. First Peter 3.20 says, Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Noah demonstrated faith to the revelation that God gave him and demonstrated obedience. He demonstrated his faith by his obedience. I believe that that's going to happen, Noah said. So I'm going to build this ark. I don't want to be drowned. I don't want to suffer the wrath of God. I want to be saved. So according to the revelation God gave him, he built the ark. 
He built it to exact specifications that God gave him. He didn't play around with the measurements. He didn't add stuff or take away stuff that I don't think we really need this. He did it exactly the way God said. Was Noah a, a shipbuilder? Probably not. I doubt it. So, yeah, so he just did what he was told. Good man. In the Bible, water is used to typify judgment or distress. We read a couple instances of this in the book of Psalms. Uh, the first one in 69, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. Again, the psalmist is using water to typify distress. In Psalm 88 and 7, he says, Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Selah. So rather than being saved by water, God uses this agent of death and destruction to save them or to separate them from the ungodly and deliver them. Now there's all kinds of types and shadows in this account here. The story of the ark. The ark is a type of the church. And today, the door is still open. And anyone can come in and experience salvation. Anybody can. In Noah's day, anybody, all they had to do was come into the ark. That was the plan of salvation. Just come into the ark. But no one would. Then God shut the door. And at that point it was too late. But that's when everybody wanted to come in, isn't it? Because that's when the rain started falling. That's when God's judgment started falling. Now everybody wants to be saved. Now everybody wants a way out. But now it's too late. God help people to see now, before it's too late. That salvation is waiting in the church. Now, it's true that uh, concerning predestination, people are not predestined to go to heaven. Currently, I feel like I'm right with God. But next week, I can still fall away. I can still choose a different path. I am not predestined to go to heaven. The church, however, is. The church is going to go up. So if I want to be predestined, i got to stay in the church. That's how we can be predestined. Just stay in the church. And we're going to make it. There's no salvation outside of the church. There's no salvation in Noah's day outside of the ark. I don't care what you did. I don't care how smart you thought you were. You can't be saved outside of the ark. The ark is the only way to be saved. I'm sure people tried. I'm sure people tried to cling to the ark. I'm sure people tried to make floaties or whatever it is that they did. But it didn't work. They all died. Only eight people made it through the flood. Those that were in the ark. It's the instrument God designed to deliver lost humanity from that present evil world. Just like the church today is the organism that God designed, instituted, 
and purchased with his blood to deliver lost humanity from this present evil age. One day God will shut the door. Thank God it's not today. Well, today's not done. (laughs) But right now, this present moment, the door is still open. Afterward, it will be shut and no one will be able to enter. The water represents baptism. In Noah's day, God used the flood waters to bury the wicked and to separate Noah and his family from the unrighteous. Today, God uses the waters of baptism to bury the old man and to separate us unto himself. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 declares, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, excuse me, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So the waters of baptism are a separation, just like in Noah's day. It's a separation. After Noah and his family came across the flood, their world was brand new. They started from scratch. They started fresh. And again, after we cross the waters of baptism, we start over. We're completely cleansed. We're, we are, we are absolutely clean. And it's a, it's a, it's a brand new start. It's a fresh world for us. After Noah disembarked the ark, God gave them some commands. We're going to read those. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. God says this. God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So, without getting too deep into it, uh, we can see from this that uh, man would now be required to govern each other. There would have to be, since this internal self-government doesn't work, we're going to try an external form of government. The laws will be applied to you externally. They will be forced on you from the outside. Human government. It was instituted here. Because man's spirit was dead, he would have to rule via his soul. We're going to find later that that's a failure as well. The soul is utterly incapable of doing that. It was never meant to do that. The spirit is supposed to do that. But before salvation, the spirit is dead. 
So shortly after this, we see the first world government forming in the plains of Sinar. And that is a disaster as well, under the rule of a man by the name of Nimrod. That's probably a good name for him. <clears throat> he was a mighty man, probably a very charismatic man, gathered a bunch of people together. God told them, go out and replenish the earth. Spread out. Nimrod said, ah, we want to stay right here. It's good here. Well-watered plains. Very nice temperatures. I don't know if I can blame them all that much. I'd like some nice temperatures. That'd be okay. <clears throat> but that was against the commandment of God. And not only that, they began to build this tower. Why? To escape the coming judgment of God. They knew they were doing wrong, and God was going to try to stop them. But they said, well, if we build this high enough, we can get above the waters. So we don't have to worry about that. And all God had to do was destroy unity. That's another subject entirely. But he destroyed their, their, their little building project and he separated them out and he, he got his way. Humans were a little bit worse off now, but God got his way. <clears throat> they formed their separate uh, language groups and they went their separate ways. And they did exactly what God wanted. Now from this time until the time of Abram, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot except for some genealogies. And uh, <clears throat> they're interesting genealogies. And it's it was a very fascinating period of history. But... That's not the... Anyway, so we get to the time of Abram. The wickedness of man was such that God could not carry out his eternal plan with the entirety of mankind as he had in the past. Before the time of Abram, later Abraham, God dealt with humanity as a whole. He dealt with the entire race. But now he's going to do something different. I almost said try. God doesn't try anything. He knows what he's doing. He's doing something different now. He's choosing himself out a man. And from this man, he's going to create a nation. And God is going to work through this nation. His will. So he calls this man Abram out of a place called Ur of the Chaldees. I like Ur because... Uh, a lot of secularists were condemning the Bible uh, for its historical inaccuracies because no one had discovered Ur yet, till they did. Then, of course, okay, maybe it's right here, too. <laughs> so I like this city. But uh, he's from Ur of the Chaldees. Abram was not a worshiper of the one true God. He probably, 
if he had any knowledge of God at all, it was very little. Uh, it certainly wasn't experiential. <clears throat> it's possible he had no real knowledge or understanding of the one true God at all. He most likely worshipped a god, a moon god, by the, the name of Nana. Not your Nana, but the moon god Nana. Okay. <laughs> but, so why did God choose Abram? Well, first of all, he was a descendant of Shem. Genesis 9.26, we, we find uh, Noah blessing Shem by saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Okay, even though he didn't serve God, he obeyed immediately. We don't ever find any any account of Abram, later Abraham, questioning the commands of God. We don't see him arguing. We don't see him offering an alternative. Uh, we don't see him trying to help God out in any way. Poor God. We know today that he needs our help, right? He needs our advice. Abram, he didn't know that. He just thought that God knew what he was doing. Being a little facetious. Of course he doesn't need our help <laughs> or our advice. So he tells them uh, in Genesis chapter 12, <clears throat> verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Excuse me, i got a frog in my throat. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, <clears throat> uh, first of all, we see that he obeyed the command. Kind of. He was supposed to separate himself from his family and his kindred, right? But but he brought Lot with him. So that not exactly. Okay? Uh, this, this might have been an act of disobedience. It might have been done out of ignorance. Uh, but in any case, we're going to find that brings Abram grief later on. He received incomplete directions, didn't he? He wasn't told where to go. God just told him to start going. I'll tell you later where you're supposed to end up. How do I know? You know, I got like 360 degrees to choose from. How do I know I'm going to end up in the right spot? Just start walking. No question, no arguments, no alternatives. He just started walking. Now, in Abram's day, moving great distances was not an easy thing. Okay? He didn't just get in the car, jump on the highway, and head out. Stop at a rest area. Stop at the Burger King. He didn't have any of that. Okay? They had to find their own food and water if they didn't pack it with them. In a good day, in a really good day, you could travel about 15 to 20 miles. 
Typically, it was more like 10 in a day. Speeding along. Their original home, Ur, was a land of great architecture, riches, comfortable homes, music, and art. They left that for Haran. Basically, a dump place out in the middle of the desert. Certainly not a big cultural center. But he did start moving in the direction of God's promises and obedience to God's word. No evidence of questioning God. He didn't confuse God's voice with any idols or false gods that he and his father worshipped. He knew who it was, and he obeyed. Why Canaan? Well, the Bible does not explicitly say that God told Abram to travel to Canaan. In Hebrews 11.8, we read this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. So Abram, Abram didn't know that he was, he was heading there. He just knew he was heading somewhere. God was going to show him at some point. And so, and so I'm out of time. We are going to continue this next Sunday. But in closing, uh, we're going to see a lot of good things in Abram's life. Abram had a desire to please this God. He had a desire to submit himself to him. And because of that, we have the account that he is called the friend of God. And that these things, his obedience was counted to him for righteousness. That's going to typify some things in New Testament salvation today. And we'll, we'll get more into the Abrahamic covenant. We'll get more into his life next Sunday. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the plan of salvation that you laid out for each of us. In this dispensation, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can experience the fullness of salvation that was typified in these other encounters with other people in times past. Today, we have the fullness of salvation. We have the fullness of the revelation of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that we live in this time period where we can experience you in a way and in a closeness that no one else in any other dispensation has ever been able to experience you. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless each person here. Be with us for the remainder of our service. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. We'll take uh, about a 10-ish minute break, and we'll be back for service.